Hi, my name is Chobion and I'm your teacher. And my name is Martin and I'm your student. You're listening to Hidden by Design, a podcast about design for ordinary people, I guess. Are you calling me ordinary? For everyone. A podcast about design for everyone. We believe that the most pleasurable and best design is the design you don't see. That's why it's called Hidden by Design. And the kind of design that works without you noticing. Typically, if you notice that you don't notice the design, that's when you will notice that it's just a nice experience. Everything we say in the show is our own opinion and interpretation of current knowledge and how the trends are and what's happening. And it's what we understand now. We might be right, we might be wrong, but it doesn't really matter. If you think we're wrong and you want to challenge what we're talking about or what we're saying or what I'm teaching, then just write us. Because we hope to become better designers and smarter people and to use this in our everyday life. Thank you for listening. Today, we're going to talk about emotional design and it's it's like it's going to be a blast of an episode because I really love this. But also, there's so much stuff. I had no idea where to start and where to end. And this is why I had to cancel last week's recording because it was too overwhelming for me. And I just realized that I didn't find a quote of the day. <laughs> well, that's disappointing because that's my, my moment to shine in the episode now. <laughs> the quote of the day is... Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> I've been so focused on preparing everything else that I didn't get that. Right, so maybe we should just find a quote. (laughs) (laughs) I believe that when I see it, I know that it's there. I I, I found one. I have no idea if it's it's any good or not. All right. Donald A. Norman. Yes. My favorite man in this world. Is it? Yeah, he's the one who actually invented the term, or he kind of he wrote a book called Emotional Design. Ah, so it says, or Donald A. Norman said, attractive things make people feel good, which in turn makes them think more creatively. How does that make something easier to use? Simple, by making it easier for people to find solutions to the problems they encounter. Yes, and, and that's a brilliant quote. That's a brilliant quote. So let's. <laughs> I feel proud to have have some input into the episode. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So so that is that's actually an excellent quote, uh, and Don Norman is is you know he he is in a lot of things right. So he wrote two books, and the first one, the psychology of everyday objects, and then emotional. So it's like he wrote a lot of books, but. Emotional design, he discovered or he learned that for some reason, when you become so obsessed with the idea that something has to work right, that you forget about aesthetics and emotions. And, and I think it's, it's like his book starts with this idea that, let's not go too much into that, I'll, I'll get to it, right? So today we were going to talk about what emotions are. Then we're going to talk about visceral, behavioral, and reflective. Uh, and then we're going to talk about the design pyramid. And in between, we're going to kind of discuss these things. 
So in, in Don Norman, he wrote the book Emotional Design, and in the beginning of that book, he has he uses an experiment that was made at a university in Japan. And what they found was that, like, so they made these ATM machines, and they put them, they made two different types, but the functionality of each of these were the same. But one looked beautiful in the interface, and the other one was ugly, right? It doesn't carry any... It didn't carry anything. And so what they found was that not only did the people who used the ATM machine that looked beautiful like the experience better and, and, and enjoy it, but they also believed that the system was working better. So it became this thing where the aesthetics of the ATM machine had an impact on the perception of how well it worked, right? So, and I think that's that was a that's a quite amazing discovery to make. So, this Israeli scientist, I can't remember his name, but he he didn't believe it. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah but that's because you know Japanese people, <laughs> they are they are they are affected by aesthetics more than other people. <laughs> so he set up the exact same experiment in Israel to disprove it, to say, right, okay, this is a fluke. It's not a real thing. It happened maybe in some cultures, but, you know, a a functional culture like the Israeli culture, this is not a thing. However, it turned out that he was wrong. And not only did this experiment prove to be right, it was even more dominant in in his experiments than it was in the Japanese. So he actually reluctantly approved of that, you know, experiment and says, like, there's something to it. There's there's something in here. And it's because you're you're making people feel with that that experience. And I, I was just gonna come in with like a, an example from my side from voiceover. Um, it, it's exactly the same I'm gonna use a telephone a business answer machine for message for as the example. If it's recorded in-house by someone who really doesn't want to do it, they've been forced to do it, they've dragged them from under their desk to record this message against their will, it's going to sound terrible. And then if, I, if a, a professional voiceover records it, it sounds much better, it sounds cleaner, it sounds confident, and it's all about um, when, when someone calls up, it's, it makes the company sound more trustworthy, more professional, they're confident that it's a, a proper company, all that sort of stuff, because you're making, you're connecting with people, making them feel something, whereas the other way, it'll be a negative experience. <laughs> That's a brilliant example. And so, and, and I guess that, that makes it so important for the voiceover artist to feel welcoming and opening and actually, you know, wake an emotion in the receiver of that message. That's that's really that's really amazing. So I think yeah, it, it, it works in it works in visuals and and sound. It works everywhere. It is, so if you have an emotion towards something, and I think you know with the voiceover, it's a very good example because what you want the listener to do is get an emotional attachment to you as you know as the speaker. It's the same. It's like it's the same that we want in this podcast is to to make people emotionally bond to us because then, and it doesn't have to be, you know, <gasps> I, you know, Justin Bieber love. 
it. <laughs> why not? <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> but it is like some sort of, of emotional. So that brings us to the question, what is an emotion? So the Oxford Language Dictionary is is describing it like this. It's a strong feeling deriving from one circumstance, mood or relationship with others. So this is not actually complete in my in my opinion because it it's like others means people, but you can actually also have an emotional relationship with a thing. And that it sounds strange, but think about this, right? When I remember, it's like, this is the first example I can come up with is my mom telling me that the computer is thinking and we just need to let it wait, right? Just wait a minute, it's thinking. And that means that now she actually put human attributes onto the computer because the computer is not thinking, <laughs> not even close. And you know that you, it's like people get rage and destructive towards computers if they don't do what they want them to. So you can get emotional in relationship to an item. It's like when something doesn't work, you want to smash it with when something makes you feel good, you want to protect it. And, and that, that's the example I, I was going to use. So something you want to protect, something you, you, want to, you want to keep. So I've got soft toys, not many, from, from when I was very, very young. Like there's one on my desk that is a small chick that was given to me by the nurse when I was born. And I've got that on my, on my desk. And to think of that being thrown away... I would be distraught by it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, and the emotional attachment to that is is strong in this one. I gave you an assignment for today to think about a product or service that you identify with that becomes part of you. Is that it? Is that the chick? No, it's not. But oh? there, there was something that... Uh, <laughs> do you want me to answer that question now? Yeah, let's let's do it. <laughs> so my, my thing was going to be a guitar. Yeah. Um, because for a long, a long time, I was a guitarist in a band. I'm not now, but I, I still play guitar. So that that was my choice. That was that would be the most obvious thing for me, I think. And is there a specific brand, or is it just that specific guitar? Um, it would be an acoustic because we were acoustic band at the end, and it was a Takamini. So you were a Takamini fanboy. Yes. And you identified with that. Yes. That's really that's really nice, right? So because this is what happens in in some cases. The reason why I wanted you to a- a- answer that question or think about it is that, that that's an emotional attachment to that brand, and so now you kind of feel as if something else is a part of your identity, and it's no longer just a guitar. It's your guitar, and it's part of who you are which means that if someone gave you a different guitar, it would feel a little bit off. Even though it would sound you know, almost completely the same, you would probably say it doesn't sound the same. That's why. <laughs> and it's all about the feel of it as well. I had two identical ones because if one broke whilst we were playing, I could just pick the other one straight up. So there was a lot to do with... Obviously, it was nice to play, easy to, easy to play because the, the strings were close to the neck and all that sort of stuff. But it was about the 
the confidence and the security that I would have that backup guitar identical the same. So I was re uh, removing the stress from a situation was there as well. You know, a, a gigging situation in front of a few hundred people. I was quite nervous because I used to write things that I probably shouldn't be playing. <laughs> Stuff that was too hard for me. So I used to get quite nervous. So it was about reducing that stress as well, trying to calm the situation down. All right. So, so you have your guitar and that guitar is part of your identity. How do you feel about it now? I've got two, two acoustics, two electrics and a bass, which I haven't played bass in a band for years. But because it's got memories attached to it, I've, I've still got it. I can't get rid of them because they, music was such a huge part of my identity and existence for so long um, that they've every single one of those has got stories and, and things behind them. For me, no one else would care, but that, you know, for me, they're very. Uh, they were an extension of myself. I don't know if you should go into this, but 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 why did it? It's like why did you start using that specific brand? Or I could probably summarize it quite quickly. There was probably a couple of things. I used to go to a shop in Canterbury, in England, um, called County Music, and they used to have loads and loads of guitars on the walls all around. So I would sit there, they have a little stall and you go and pick your guitar and you try it, pick your guitar and try it. And it, the Takamini, obviously it's a brand that I knew of um, and I knew that it was quite expensive, but these these ones weren't the top of the range, so I could afford them. So there's a bit of, oh, wow, I'm getting a Takamini and I can afford it. <laughs> so there's a bit of bra <laughs> brand recognition there as well, I think, to start with. But they were just so they were so comfortable and so easy on the fingers to play, yeah. And I it just felt it felt nice. I think to pl nice to play. And so you bought one. Yep. And then you played and it. And went back and bought another one. <laughs> and then you went back and bought another one. And and if you think about it's like that emotion of it being easy and nice to play with, and it had a nice sound and all of that stuff. So now. You had the great experience in the store, and then when you thought back on it, it felt good, right? It feels good to think about that moment. So because that brings us on to the next topic, which is the visceral, behavioral, and reflective part. And, you know, we talked about this, and you could go back to the, the episode three about the brain, where we talk a little bit about... You know, we, Kahneman have his system one and system two, and Don Norman have his three parts of the brain, and and this is where his three parts come from. And he have he called them the visceral, the behavioral, and the reflective part. And so, the visceral and behavioral is is system one, and reflective is system two. But he looks at it from a emotional part. So I, I want to go through this a little bit quickly because. However, it's very, very interesting. But the interesting part actually comes when you understand it. So the visceral emotion, this is the lizard brain. This is the, the deep stuff, right? It's the immediate reaction you get when you see a painting. It's when you hear a nice sound or have a nice emotion, right? So it's the immediate reaction to... And experience, so so very very low. Now now we have the behavioral emotions, and these are the ones you get from doing something. 
and understanding things, right? So if if you solve a a puzzle, a Sudoku, and you get like this great emotion, then you get now a, an emotional attachment to Sudoku, right? Uh, you can manage it. It's it's kind of a little bit where flow lives, right? The behavioral emotion is, I have a nice experience, and I I am in control, and I I control the situation. And then we have the reflective emotion, and that is that was fun or that was nice, and it's a whole thing in I identify with it. You know, I I want to try that again. All of those things that that make you have that amazing experience, and one of the things that we as humans can do, right? So if you look at the visceral emotion, like this is this is where this is where we kind of separate a little bit from animals. Uh, the human brain, at least, has evolved to that point, right? So if you take a chicken, for example, and you put some food, and and then you put a fence up between the chicken and the food the chicken don't have the brain capacity to go around the fence, right? That's a visceral, it just to have the emotions like, I need to just eat that stuff, but I can't reach it, and it will just keep going into the fence. Whereas a dog, which is evolved a little bit higher, can kind of figure out how to go around it. And then there's a reflective part, which is we understand we understand the, the, the whole situation out from a different picture, so we won't even be caught by the fence we just like we recognize the fence and we will just not even be be hindered about it because we can reflect upon other experiences with other fences right so there's this whole thing and so this is where it becomes really interesting in terms of emotional design because you get into this mode of attaching and as as we heard about in the very beginning where we say it's like if you're emotionally attached to something it will work better for you you'll be more forgiving to the mistakes or errors that it makes and you will be more, it's like you you would want to use it even more. So you see this, uh, I don't like, so I wrote down here in my notes (laughs) that now I have to ask you a question (laughs) about an experience. We almost talked about it, I don't know. (laughs) But if you can think of an experience where you reflect upon it now and you think, oh, wow, and that, like, that's, that's what make me do things or remember that experience from an emotional point of view. Yeah, I was going to tie it back to the the guitar example, it, using the, the the visceral, behavioral, and reflective as well. So the visceral, immediate reaction was that looks like a nice guitar. Yeah, because they were a nice looking guitar and and grabbing it off the shelf, uh, off the hook, and then the behavioral emotion was oh, I you know I know how it works. But that's where the the plug goes in there, the cable, the volume switches, and all those sorts of stuff. And then uh, the reflective emotions was, you know, I, I got home, realised how great it was. Thought, oh, maybe I'll go get another one. Yeah, um, <laughs> and I got another one. So you can see all the different stages there. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's that that experience probably is probably the one that I would that was most obvious. Yeah, yeah. So so buying the guitar actually. And and then getting home and then hearing it and listening and playing it. I mean, there, there's probably other. I, I, I think that makes me sound quite boring. Saying like my life, the the high point of my life was buying a guitar. But <laughs> <laughs> there, there's other things that I've done that are exciting. <laughs> okay, let's take it a little bit further because in my mind, it's actually not boring. It goes straight into the whole idea of emotional design because that experience of buying that was. 
probably one of the key moments that that defined you as a guitarist, I'm guessing. Yeah, and I've seen the example, just seen the example you've put on the sheet, and that those guitars, like I, I hinted at before, they all feed into the experiences I had with those guitars. So yes. getting in a van with the band and just driving around the country and playing and then playing at festivals, playing in you know tiny little pubs and theatres and things, and it's all part of a, a whole chunk of my life that I look back on very fondly. Yeah. Yeah, and that guitar was with you, or those guitars yeah. <laughs> were with you, and that brand. So now, when you play it and it doesn't really work, or it's you, you, you probably tend to be a little bit more forgiving. It's like ah, it's also old and yeah. So the, the strings are very, very. I haven't tra- changed the strings probably that since the last time I, I I played live, which was seven or eight years ago. Um, so it sounds more dead than it should. But I don't care because it's my guitar. Yeah. <laughs> and I've had to have it repaired. And I got it repaired because I wanted that guitar to be as good as new again. And and things like that. You know, you, you care for it and you want to make sure it gets back to <laughs> back to working uh, abilities. Exactly. And so this this that you explain here, in my opinion, should be every designer's dream. That you make a product that people get emotionally attached to. And and the emotional part is it's like and that's that's where all of these different things comes into play, right? It has to feel good. It has to have that immediate wow reaction. It has to be beautiful. It has like not only to look at but also to listen to, for example. So the experience itself have to be a positive emotional reaction to to that thing. That brings us on to the next next part which is the design pyramid. So do you remember <laughs> do you remember Maslow's pyramids of needs? I know that we've spoken about it before. So can can you remember how it's constructed? Uh, even even looking at it now, if I looked away, <laughs> because... I wouldn't be <laughs> because... But no, but no, I I can't I can't remember it. I know that it's um actually there's a there's a song by a band that I listened to that released a few years ago that was called uh Food, roof, and family, and I think some of that might tie into the things that it, what you need, the priorities. So, food, roof. Uh, what, what was it? Food, roof, and family. Yeah, yeah. So, Maslow's just really, really his hierarchy of needs is it's a pyramid, and the bottom of it have to be fulfilled until you can go up to the next stage of that pyramid. So you start by having psychological, uh, phys- physiological needs, which is air, food, water, sleep, all of that, reproduction. It's like these are the things that physiological need to, to... It's like if you don't have food and water, you can't go on to the next stage, which is roof as from the... It's like safety needs. So personal security that you have good health, that you have roof over your head, a place to sleep that's that's more than just, you know, so that you have this security around you. And then comes family. Love and belonging is the next stage, which is which happens about intimacy with other people, sense of connection, friendships, all of that thing. Then comes esteem, self-esteem, status, it's like if we go into to the whole thing about you know emotional design, this is where it starts to live, right? 
recognition. You want to have the right thing so that you fit in with other people, all of that stuff. And then self-actualization is the top of that pyramid. So Aaron Walter took that Maslow's pyramid and then he made a design pyramid. It's like emotional design pyramid. Uh, and it 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 ties into and it has the same kind of kind of idea. So you have the bottom of the pyramid, which is called that's where functional design lives. And if you look up for functional design, you will see a lot of people promoting it. It's like it's a very uh, mechanical approach to making stuff work. An example of where something was functional design is Chernobyl. You know, the Chernobyl accident, in many ways, people will talk about why that happened. And uh, the Soviet Union was, uh, the Soviet Union was, it's like they loved functional design. They, it's like there was also, their architecture had also had some, some very, you know, specific rules. But functional design means that a thing does exactly what a thing does and it solves a problem. When most people look at an airplane cockpit, they will get the notion that this is functional design. It's just a lot of, you know, flips and, you know, buttons and things that you can flick and push push and do things with, but you don't really understand what to do. You have to read the manual in order to understand that interface. And Chernobyl was built in the same way. It had like all of these things with a minimum of, of, of feedback, right? So when something went wrong, and this is what some people say went wrong, right? Stuff began to stop working. <laughs> something failed somewhere. And that created a chain reaction of everything failing. And when you have functional design, it means that when something fails, it just it stops working. And, and it no longer becomes reliable, which is the next stage. But because you rely on people understanding the system and how everything works based on a manual and everything just lights up, you won't be able to actually identify where the problem is because everything is a problem. That was a reason because then a lot of minutes passed where they couldn't figure out where's the problem. And then everything just went really bad. So that's the first step. It's like, and you can't, unless you have the functional stage of design, you can't go up because that's that's where the problem is solved. But you want to go high on that emotional design pyramid. And that goes to the next one, which is reliable. It has to be reliable. It has to work every time and the way that you expect it to work. So if you press a button that says start, then it should do just that. It should start. And that brings us up to the usable stage, which which then the design becomes usable. It means that when you, you understand what it means when the button says start and you control the system rather than the system controlling you. So that's where usability and, and a usable design experience live. Right? So now... Now we're at that stage where most people typically make design. When you do usability testing, when you uh, when you create web pages uh, with layouts and all of that stuff, you do usable design. 
but you miss that last bit of the pyramid, which is the top, which is emotional, which is desirability, which which triggers something in you that just makes that. So typically, when I talk about this in in terms of of layout of a web page, right? Because we talk often, we talk about layout. So the difference between layout and composition. So you make a composition which is basically a picture telling a, a story, and the moment you start telling a story, it becomes emotional. So you can make a a a painting, and if you make a bland painting of it, it's like a portrait without any emotions in it. It becomes boring, dull. It can be technically perfect, but if it doesn't tell a story, it doesn't have any emotions. And that's what separates a great picture from a boring picture, if that makes sense. I hope it's not offensive to anyone, but I can't. I couldn't help but think like, and I know there's probably an obvious answer for this. The Chernobyl example, functional design, had and after what happened, there was a very very emotional response to that. Yeah. Does that feed into the design in sort of? So it's, 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 it was a functional design, but it caused a very emotional reaction because of what happened. I think these things are detached, but it's a very good question uh, because obviously emotional design d- do create that. I would say more typically, right? So you have your guitar, you have an emotion towards it. When you talk about it, you give other people that emotion, like you pass it on. So it's it's not that it's. I think just in that specific case is because what happens after the Chernobyl is a lot of other things triggers, right? So people get frightened, and some people overreact, and some people underreact. Like so, there's a there's a myriad of of reaction patterns to this, but most people are just really afraid, right? Yeah, and so it wasn't to do with the functional design, it was to do with the results of. So you can say in some sense that the functional design was the cause of an emotional reaction. The end of this is delight and the wow effect that I think a lot of designers forget this. But this is actually where, you know, good design and great design in many ways separate itself, right? I think this is this was one of the goals with with the Apple and their iPhone, right? And the Apple brand in general, they wanted to make this emotional attachment. And it was just like, I used to... <laughs> so I, I'm not a Windows user. Uh, well, I am right now, but I also use Mac and I use... It's like I use whatever comes in front of me. I'm not really that emotionally attached to it. But I use it's like so I went to the design school and there was a lot of Mac owners. And it's it's not that a Mac is worse or better than a PC. It's I usually say that a Mac is like a PC, it just crashes with style. <laughs> and then <laughs> I hope we don't upset anyone with that, oh, those comments. Oh, but this is but this is the this is the cool thing, right? So Apple was very successful, not just a little bit, but very successful, because if you threaten or say anything that's negative about an, a Mac or an Apple product, they become very offense, like defensive about it. 
And the reason is that Apple was, is, more was amazing at creating that emotional attachment to their product. And they did that by making great looking designs, by, by making th- something that felt good, right? It's like if you look at, if you touch a Mac computer, you will see something that Mac owners do that PC owners don't do. That is, they have their Mac and you'll see them just sliding the hand on top of it because someone spent a lot of time making sure that the Mac material feels just right. That's that's amazing because that's exactly what I was going to say because I'm a, a Windows user and always have been. And I think just because I don't want to have to learn the different ways of clicking and the commands and that sort of thing. Um, but we've got a... Uh, our father-in-law gave us uh, an old MacBook Air, I think it is. And I was going to say that that's exactly what I do when I pick it up is run my hand over the top just because it feels nice. But I don't I don't use it really for anything anymore. But I, I definitely remember doing that. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's, it's quite amazing, right? And so Apple went out of the way to create that emotional attachment to their product. And and you really like there's there's few other places where you see it as effectively applied as with Apple and and so you can think about Apple what you want, but that they are the masters of emotional design and you have to respect that. And Don Norman actually also worked with Apple, so I think there might be a connection there somewhere. But emotional design, this is where art lives. This is where you connect design. So you know to end this episode. I think it's 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 cool to to connect. So I remember when I was at design school, there was a teacher, a lecture we had, and I can't actually remember who it was even. I just remember these words where he says, design is what connects art and engineering. And that's so that's the bridge between it's like emotionally and we talked about this in previous episodes as well. Emotionally, we use emotions as designers to make people do what we want them to do. And emotional design is just taking that one step further and making people attached and emotionally engaged in the product that you do. Yeah, I had like I had all the example. Uh, Justin Bieber fans. <laughs> but it's kind of interesting because that's what they do, right? It, it it becomes more than just the music. It becomes the person that that brands themselves in a specific way and say things, and then you have people going completely nuts. We, we have gone everywhere on this episode. We've had guitars. We've had Chernobyl. We've had... <laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm gonna end strong. One of my favorite people. I'm not gonna say his name because I didn't ask if I could. But my cousin's husband is a car enthusiast, and I just love it. I think it's the most amazing thing. So he have a thing for Citroen cars from. Oh man, he's gonna kill me. From nineteen seventy nine or something like that. <laughs> There's a very specific brand of series of Citroëns that had hydraulic lifting of the wagon. 
I remember them. And that's that's the car. I can't remember when it's like, but it was 1970 something, I believe. It's it's not the it's not the one that looks like uh, the one with the soft top that looks a bit like um, a dog's head. <laughs> I guess is the one with the the back wheel is sort of semi covered. Yes, exactly. And when the and when the the car started, the hydraulics would open, and the car would would lift itself. So and that just shows that he has an emotional attachment to that specific brand of cars, and he fixes it, and it's amazing. And talking to him about it is just off the this world. And so as designers and as human beings, as like, you know, as a professional within in voiceover, it's it's that you, I guess, if you're starting a small business or you're making a product or you're doing anything, is is if you forget that emotional bit, that's where things really shine. That's where you get that last kind of kick of, of the, the, the thing that you create, the, the paintings. And it all has to do with these, the visceral, the behavioral, and the reflective part. So I guess that was it for today. Thank you for listening. And uh, see you next time. I can't remember what, what the intro outro is. We're always learning. That's the thing. Is that we're, we're at episode 11, and we're, we're still learning. We're Excuse still me. absolutely still learning. And you can go to hiddenbydesign.net and comment and ask questions. Uh, you can find us on uh, LinkedIn or because I know Martin, you're very active there. I'm trying to be active, but not really so. But you can find us there. Ask us questions. Go read a little bit about. We also post the resources to each episode so you can read a little bit more, buy the books that we talk about. That's it. Goodbye. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs>